Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable, and that's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back, and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and this is the final day of our Christmas podcast countdown, where we have done nine days focusing on the countdown to what I believe to be the most important day of the year. One of the things that I want to share about this podcast is that the reason why we did nine days is because that is how many songs that we have recorded and put together with the Back to Jerusalem Christmas in China book. Nine songs that come from the heart of the underground house church inside of China. Nine songs that we believe are the primary expression of the underground church during Christmas time. The songs that they sing when they're ministering to others, the songs that they sing when they're remembering the birth of Jesus, the songs that they sing when they're ministering to others. Now, in China, Christmas is not a holiday that the people follow or celebrate. They only are recently because of the influence that is taking place from the West, and the Chinese are using this as a tool to preach the gospel into other parts of China. For this final podcast, I want to just reflect on what Christmas in China, the, the, this coffee table, table book, is meant to bring about. You know, when we look at the story of Christmas in the Bible, the original story, we often say that there were three wise men, but there's nowhere in the Bible that actually refers to three wise men. Wise men, yes. Wise men from the East, yes. But there's never a numerical value we don't know if there were three or ten. I'm sure that people that traveled, wise men that traveled for so long from the east to celebrate the birth of Jesus, I'm sure that they traveled in a caravan, people that helped serve their needs for traveling. There was no snow. I've been all over Israel and I've have yet to see snow. Now I know that up in the the Golan Heights area, right there at the mountain of 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 the area in northern Israel, you can you can find snow and actually you can go snowboarding and skiing, but not down in the area of Jerusalem or Bethlehem. Most likely, according to scholars, Jesus was most likely born in the summer, not in the winter. The the possibility of him being born on December 25th is probably zero. Jesus was born in persecution. Though today we like to romanticize it and, and think about this little baby laying in a manger with with a, a caring mother and and uh, wise men all around that are that are you know giving him praise. The truth is, is the wise men were not there when he was born. Actually, when they arrived, he was already an older 
a baby. He, he was not newborn. The, a manger at that time was nothing to really romanticize. It was a, it was a stinky, disgusting stall. Full of the smell of manure from, from the animals. From the workers that came and fed those animals on a regular basis. It, it could be the, the, the mud. I don't know if you've ever seen that when you're, you know, pouring water for the animals to drink. It creates, it, I, I grew up on a farm. So uh, in a farming area, I grew up in the middle of a cornfield or soybean field, depending on what time of the year you actually travel there. And I worked at feeding pigs. It was at someone else's farm. I, I fed pigs and I took care of horses. And anybody that has been in that environment, you know that when you're watering them and you're cleaning them and you're washing them or, or you're in those stalls, um, the, the water that you're, feed, you're giving to the animals, it splashes all over the place and, and you begin to walk the same path every single day. And it's usually the, the area of least resistance, you know, along the fences, along the, the, the different areas where you keep the animals away from the tools. And so you have one little path that kind of gets worn in and that, that path becomes muddy and slushy and disgusting. I used to shovel out a, a, a certain donkey barn in, a place called Raw, Indiana. Raw. I don't know why we called it Raw because it sounds like R A W, but it is actually spelled R O L L. There's there's no street light in that town. There's 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 no um, stores in that town. There's no crossroads in that town. It's just one road along Highway 18 in Indiana. And I used to I worked on a farm and uh, out and right there smack dab in the middle of Raw, Indiana. And there was a there was a um, a donkey. Uh, where I actually got a nickname for quite a while. The donkey, the, the donkey's name, the mule's name was Tom. And so people used to say, you are so stubborn and, and, and will not change your mind for anything. You, you got a head like Tom. And so a lot of people called me Tom. Okay there, Tom. And it came from that donkey. And, and on that farm where I used to work, you know, we, we would, we would fertilize the, the fields by shoveling out the manure from the barn. And the manure, I kid you not, you wouldn't know it, but you were actually walking on a good foot or more of manure. It would just pack up over time. Just thick crap. I mean, you're just walking on it. It's like a cushiony type of, of you know, it dissolves and, 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 and breaks down over time. So it's almost like soil, but not quite yet soil. I mean, it still has the smell, still has the consistency. You know, it's it's not warm and moist like, you know, a fresh pile, but it's it's still, you know, over a period of months and years, it builds up. If it disgusts you just to talk about it, can you imagine that's where our Savior was born? In a manger, an animal stall, not horse waste, animal waste. The smells, the hygiene, it's disgusting. That's not really the kind of an environment that we think of when we set up manger scenes. We set up these nativity scenes in front of our churches. They're more romanticized. You got a nice, cool star above the top. Mary is dressed in fine linens. She's usually cute, calm, peaceful, adoring her newborn child. Three wise men coming to the side of Jesus and giving him praise. The shepherds singing in the peace of the night that the Savior has been born. That's not the story that we're told in the Gospels. 
We're told a story about a baby that's born in the midst of persecution, a horrible setup in Israel. There was no place for them to even stay indoors. They had to stay outdoors in the barn around the animals where you had diseases and bacteria. It was a disgusting area. The Bible tells us, as it does many times when the angels came to the shepherds, they weren't, you know, singing holy like, oh, you know, here comes the angels descending down and and we all just kind of fall peacefully to our knees. No, they were scared. They probably had to clean their underwear when the angels came down because that can be quite scary. I mean, can you imagine? These are people, they didn't, they didn't watch Rogue One in the theaters, the, the, the new release of the newest Star Wars movie. They weren't used to 3D inside of an IMAX theater. They weren't used to watching the, the, the movie of Transformers or, or Shrek or, you know, some of the things that we have become accustomed to. These guys were in the field all day, every day, probably since the time that they were children. From the time of children, they were being trained how to be shepherds. I know because I've worked with shepherds. You, 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 you were born into a family of shepherds. You don't just one day decide as an adult that I'm going to be a shepherd. You usually become a shepherd boy. And it's because your father is a shepherd. And then you're able to watch the sheep as your father goes out and does other things. Much more important things. Much more exciting things. Because watching sheep is boring. You know, there's a place that we like to go to. It's called Lilleskogen inside of, China, inside of uh, uh, Sweden. And in this, in this place of Lilleskogen is where they keep the king's sheep. And I, when our children were little, we loved to take our children to go see the Swedish king's sheep in Lilleskogen, where the sheep dogs would, would round up the certain sheep during different times of the summer and then isolate one of them. And, and that one would then be brought to the shepherd and the shepherd could then shear the sheep. It was such a wonderful thing to watch, but only for a few minutes. After a while, it got boring. When the day was nice and sunny, that's when we like to watch with our children the sheep and the sheepdogs. All so nice. But not when it's raining. Not when it's cold. I don't want to be there then. That's when the shepherd is with the sheep all the time. Rain or shine. Good times and bad, scary times and not so scary times. The shepherd never leaves the sheep. That's why the sheep know the shepherd's voice. And those shepherds that were out there on the birth, the night that Jesus was born, those shepherds were only used to being alone by themselves in isolation. They knew the quiet dead of night. They knew the hot feeling of the deserts. They were often alone with their thoughts. I can almost guarantee that these were not educated individuals. They did not study in the best schools if they went to school at all. All they knew were the fields and their sheep. And out of nowhere, an angel appears supernaturally. Holy cow, that must have been one of the most bone-shaking events in their life. I guarantee you, they talked about that night for the rest of their lives until they died. The last thought on their brain before they left this earth was probably that very moment that an angel appeared to them. And it must have scared the living daylights out of them. 
as it did. You notice that when most angels appear in the Bible, they don't appear and then just start talking. One of the first things that they have to say is what? Don't be afraid. And they're not telling you don't be afraid because that's a nice introduction. Usually, if I tell somebody don't be afraid, it's because they are afraid. So these are not the ideas that you get when you think about Christmas. And that's what we wanted to do with our Christmas in China book. To take away the westernization that has happened. The, 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 the way that Christmas has been marketed. The way that Christmas has been packaged and sold. We wanted to rip it from all of those things. Because when Jesus was born, he was born in persecution. You know, when the leaders found out where Jesus, the Messiah, was, was, was possibly born, an order was given for all of the babies to be killed. Here you have, today I had a, a, an interesting conversation with a, with a young lady that I graduated school with. And she, I don't know what her walk is like with Christ, but she supports an organization that um, performs the most abortions inside the United States of any other organization. And I challenged her and I said, I'm sorry, I, 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 I want to, I know that you don't support abortion. I know that you don't support killing babies, but here's the thing. I, especially during this time of the year, when I remember the birth of a savior, I cannot support an organization that kills babies, especially when I hold so dear this, this amazing story of a savior being born in Bethlehem and his mother and father having to take him and escape to Egypt so that he will not be killed when all the other babies are being slaughtered. How can I remember that story? And support the ongoing slaughter, genocide of the most innocent of those around us, unborn babies. That was a dark night in Bethlehem when babies were being slaughtered. This is, this, this is the biblical description of Christmas. And, and, and we call it Christmas, but it's actually not a Christian holiday. It is now. You know, we've had people that come onto Facebook and on social media and will write me personal messages. And they will say, Christmas is a pagan holiday. And you should renounce it and, and deny it and step away from it because it has nothing to do with Jesus. And, and I have to believe that their heart is in the right place. And I know that many of you that are listening to this podcast are wondering what do we believe when it comes to Christmas? Do we have a Christmas tree? Do we use a wreath? I can tell you that the Christmas in China does not have a Christmas tree. Now, some of them might because of the marketing and, and the ideas that they've been able to form about Christmas from watching maybe Western movies. But traditionally, the Chinese don't have Christmas trees. They don't play Chestnuts roasting on an open fire and jingle bells. They don't make visits to Santa Claus and teach their children about a man with a white beard who comes down the chimney at night, eats cookies and leaves gifts. That is not the story of Christmas in China. And yet, it is. You see, 
the Chinese are using the holiday that has been marketed in China as being completely secular and a reason to increase sales inside of China. They've used that as an open door to sneak in and share about the true meaning of Christmas. You see, when I see people that have very good meaning and they share the truth, and they write to me and they say, you have to, you, 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 you have to renounce the Christmas tree. You have to come out strongly against this pagan influence on Christianity. I can't because I see the church in China. You see, Romans worshipped the god of Saturn during the days from December 17th to the 25th. It was a Roman holiday that first brought on Christmas. Because Christmas is not a Jewish holiday. It wasn't celebrated by the Jews. It wasn't celebrated by Jesus. And Jesus is the reason for the season. If he's the reason for the season, then why do we use it to celebrate his birth, a day that he never commissioned? He never told his disciples to celebrate Christmas. He never told his followers to celebrate Christmas. And it's never covered anywhere in the Bible. None of the disciples or the first century church, for that matter, ever celebrated Christmas. The Romans did. As pagans. In their pagan worship of the pagan gods. Anybody that would listen to that, you would think, well, wouldn't that compel you to step away and abandon it? I mean, abandon it. If Jesus didn't teach it and Jesus didn't embrace it, then abandon it. But, brothers and sisters, you're missing the beauty of what God has done. You're missing the power of God in His miraculous, omniscient ways in using His people here on earth to spread His good news, to spread the greatest story that has ever been told by man. You see, the Romans did indeed worship the god Saturn from December 17th to December 25th. And I know a lot of people are like, Aha! I told you! I told you! It's a pagan holiday. Yes, it is. It was one of the big holidays of the year. It was a holiday that was filled with sex and violence. And others were compelled to bring gifts in the honor of the sun god Saturn. Christians rejected this teaching of the Romans. Again, a lot of people are sitting there saying, I told you, this is what I know, this is what I've researched, this is what I found. All the more reason to deny it. Christians denied a lot of things in the early days. They excluded themselves from the pagan practices. Christians in the underground exploded throughout all of Rome and the Roman world, all the way into Eastern Asia and Asia Minor, into the Middle East. They excluded themselves. The Christians excluded themselves from things like gladiator fights because they glorified violence and killings. They killed and entertained themselves with the killing of slaves. And Christians were killed and the great Colosseum, even there in Rome, but not just in Rome, but all over the Roman Empire, where the Colosseums were. 
It was wide. It was it was widely accepted entertainment. People looked forward to it. They loved it. They emulated the gladiators. And they looked down upon the slaves and the Christians that were killed. The Christians stepped down from being thespians. They refused to participate in theater. Because those they had men that dressed up like men and women, uh, men that pretended to be women for plays. You see, women couldn't participate in the plays. The women parts were played by men. And it led to a type of homosexual atmosphere that the Christians rejected. You see, there were homosexual gods as well. The reason why we have the word uh, lesbian is because it comes from the island of Lesbos and the area of Assos where uh, homosexuality was embraced and celebrated. Not only celebrated, but expected. You see, the days of Paul and the early church it wasn't that well the Bible could have never anticipated the kind of things that we're dealing with today when it comes to homosexuality. Oh, contraire, mon frere. That could not be further from the truth. Because the truth is, during the days of Paul in the first century church and during the days of Jesus, there were areas where homosexuality was embraced and celebrated. And those that did not celebrate it were oftentimes looked at as being closed-minded and were sometimes put in jail or even killed. It was expected. Entire societies embraced it. In fact, in the Roman society, the Roman leaders, the high ups, the elites, the the governors and, and the political leaders would go and find young boys that they would use for their own pleasure. And then when they were done, when they used them, when they abused them, when they raped them, then they would have them killed and slaughtered. And the Christians did not want to take part in that, even in the slightest. So they even rejected the thespian community and refused to even act. The Christians stepped away from pagan holidays, pagan holidays like that that celebrated the god of Saturn that took place during the same time that we celebrate Christmas. But then, Something strange happened. Something strange where the missionaries that were sent to pagan areas, these, these, these new believers that were radical about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and seeing entire areas changed and transformed with the gospel, they saw bridges that could be made. Ways of connecting with people from a different culture, from a different language, from a different background, from a different history. Ways that they could share the gospel that the people could relate to. You see, they took their cues from Jesus, who used culture and ideas to relate to his disciples. When he walked along the street and he saw a fig tree, he used the fig tree to teach his disciples. When he saw a vineyard and workers in the vineyard, when he saw a wedding, He used wine and wineskins, things that the disciples would be familiar with. Even their occupation of being fishermen, he used as examples, as a bridge to explain ideas that they would not understand otherwise. You see, he used these, these ideas and stories to take that which is unknown from heaven and break it down into a way that it is known by using items and culture in everyday life as an example, as a metaphor, in order to share heavenly ideas, concepts, 
that his disciples would not have been familiar with. You see, Jesus came from a kingdom on high that was so different from the world around that the disciples would have never been able to even remotely understand what Jesus was talking about. So Jesus, in his teaching for dummies, breaks it down and uses things that the disciples would see every day and use those in his analogies, in his teaching, so that he could convey concepts that they could understand. The missionaries, the early missionaries, they understood this and were used, I believe, by the Holy Spirit to create bridges. I can remember sitting in the living room of an amazing man by the name of Don Richardson. Don Richardson went and spoke to a group of headhunters, people that would eat people. They were cannibals. He was living. He was the first Western person, first foreigner, period, not even Westerner, first foreigner to go and live among these headhunting tribes. And he goes into these headhunting tribes and he shares with them the story of Jesus. And they see that Judas is the hero. They thought that Judas was amazing. Any man that could trick someone like Jesus must be smarter than Jesus. Therefore, he's the hero. That was the exact opposite message that Don Richardson was trying to convey. I remember sitting in Don Richardson's living room. He's the, he's the writer of an amazing book called uh, Eternity in Their Hearts. Also, he tells the story about the time when he ministered to this headhunting tribe. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's called The Peace Child, an amazing classic. I would highly recommend it. And he starts to share with me about how he noticed that when the tribes were warring against each other and one tribe wanted to bring about peace, the, the leader of the tribe would give up his firstborn son. And, and as a baby, he would take the son when the baby was born and offer it to the leader of the opposite tribe. And then the opposite tribe would raise that child as their own. And it was considered to be a great wrong, a huge sin, a, 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 a impossible trespass to war with that tribe again because they had given the peace child to bring peace. And that child would forever be a symbol of peace between the two tribes. And so Don used the killing that they do within their tribe to show that God gave to earth the peace child. And then they saw Judas as being a transgressor of which there is no forgiveness. The peace child was given and Judas betrayed the peace child. The first missionaries, they saw this celebration that took place celebrating Saturn. And what they began to do is use the meaning of it with the new Christians that instead of going to the celebrations to celebrate Saturn, they would come and celebrate the birth of Jesus together. And it was incorporated within the Roman calendar. And because Rome became a Christian nation, supernaturally, might I add, that Constantine, the ruler, was supernaturally transformed before God. Now, a lot of people will debate that. And they will say, well, he wasn't, he really didn't become a Christian. He only did it because, to appease the masses. 
<laughs> Brothers and sisters, as I've said before on several other podcasts, that was a miracle if that was the case. Either way, you have a miracle. If it happened the way that Constantine said it happened, which was he went to bed at night and he saw Jesus in a dream where a cross was given and told him he would defeat Rome with the sign of the cross. And he told all of his soldiers the next day, immediately, it happened overnight. He told his soldiers to put up the sign of the cross. And with the sign of the cross, they would be victorious in Rome and they would take over Rome and he would become the new ruler of Rome and he would make it a Christian nation, which is exactly what happened. That's according to uh, Constantine. However, people that are against Constantine or question Constantine will say that actually he did it to appease to the masses. Brothers and sisters, that is a miracle because prior to Constantine, it was a crime to be a Christian in Rome and Christians were being persecuted, killed, slaughtered, and even used for entertainment in the gladiator forums. For Christians to not be destroyed, nay, to even grow and become such a strong force that people have to theorize that Constantine tried to appeal to the masses by becoming a fake Christian. If that's the true version, that is an equal miracle. Because that would mean that the church grew just like it is in China under persecution. You see, the early Christians, they saw a bridge to be used with the Romans that practiced paganism. And even those that were not Romans. Even those that were Germanic. Like the place where I'm sitting in right now. You know, they don't call it Christmas here in Sweden. In Scandinavia, they say Yule. Yuletide. Tide. Yuletide. Like the Yuletide. Like we'll say the Yuletide carols, right? Where does that name come from? Well, it's the Scandinavian way of saying it. This this time of the year, it's called the Yule time of the year, Yule Tide. It's also one of the names of the Germanic god Odin, which was celebrated and praised by the Germans, the Germanic people and the Scandinavians. Scandinavians, by the way, are Germanic. And it was during this time of the year that we get the Christmas tree and the wreath and the logs because all of this was used during Yule time. What is Yule? It is a time of the year that celebrates the winter solstice. You know, here in Scandinavia, you have the maypole or the, the the summer solstice and the winter solstice. During the, the, the summertime, you have the longest day of the year, and that's celebrated by raising of the maypole, this, the, this summertime uh, celebration here in Sweden, where they, they celebrate the longest period of time of, of, of the year. And then they also celebrate the, the longest night of the year, the winter solstice. This year, during... Uh, 2016, the longest day of the year is December 22nd. It falls on a different time. Sometimes it's been known to fall on December 25th. You see, December 25th was the time that was agreed upon among the Germanic people of the longest period of time when the night descends on earth. This is the longest night of the year. When the sun is the furthest away. When the night is the darkest, and it's dark for where I'm at right now, it's only daylight, and, and the sun doesn't even really rise. 
You can see it barely peaks up over the mountains and then goes right back down in a period of minutes. It's about it's it's dark for about 21 hours a day where I'm sitting at right now. If I go up a little bit further north, it actually never becomes daylight. Stays dark all day long on December 22nd. You see, I think the missionaries found an appropriate time to celebrate the birth of Jesus because what they did was they created the, the, the missionaries, the early monks came among the pagans and they began to change the meaning of that which is evil, that which was violent, that which was odious. They, they, they transformed the meaning and made it into something that gives praise and worship to God. And thanks him. Instead of now giving gifts to the God of Saturn, forcibly having to do that. Now we joyfully celebrate by giving gifts to remember the greatest gift that was given to man. And to celebrate the birth of Jesus on December 25th means that after the longest night of the year, the next day, the next dawn is the beginning of shorter nights. It is the hope for the spring that is coming. It is the hope that the days are going to get brighter now. Summer is on its way. The trees will again begin with their vibrancy. The, the, the flowers will spring up again. Life will return back to the earth. The darkest day is over. What an Amazing expression for the early missionaries who transformed this idea of the darkest night of the year. And the next day, December 25th, this, the birth of a Savior who brings hope to the earth. And that which was used to celebrate darkness and violence and, and some of the most horrible transgressions against mankind has now been changed where the early missionaries, the early monks changed the meaning into a day. Now when we think about Christmas, we think about what? Peace, love, grace on earth to all mankind. Yuletide now takes on a completely different meaning in Scandinavia. Now I listen to the music that is sung by almost every Scandinavian. When they come together and they celebrate this special holiday that, that they refer to as the Lucia, uh, St. Lucia Day, where they, they celebrate the, a woman who li would bring out candles and she, she would come and serve food to the Christians that were being persecuted. They had to go into hiding. They had no food. They, 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 they were isolated by themselves on a small little island. And, and the story goes that St. Lucia would come out at night and secretly give them food. And because of her, they stayed alive. All over Scandinavia, they celebrate the hope given to mankind, even those that have to endure persecution. Because tonight, as we remember that Christmas is coming, we don't forget our brothers and sisters who are in persecution in Syria, Iraq, Sudan, Saudi Arabia, and even those like the ones that were tragically attacked in Germany. Missionaries began to use the smallest things to make a bridge for the gospel. They even used the trees that were praised by the Scandinavians, cut them down to show that no harm would come upon them. 
the gods of the forest had no power over those that were praising and worshiping the one true God. The evergreen in its triangular shape used to share the gospel of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Those first missionaries like Don Richardson used the most (laughs) horrible time of the year to be celebrated as the most wonderful time of the year. Brothers and sisters, I have to tell you, that is one of the most amazing missionary stories of our lifetime. If you don't celebrate Christmas like we like we don't in China, it's okay. You're following in the footsteps of Jesus and the disciples. But if you do happen to sing Christmas carols and have a tree in your home and go to Christmas concerts and 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 share about the spirit of Christmas, I believe it's also okay. Not only do I also believe it's okay, I believe that it is the greatest testimony of the most effective missionaries of our lifetime. Tonight I want to end with a song called Jesus Loves You. Because I believe in this very last day, this very last podcast on the countdown to Christmas, that Jesus loves you. I can remember Brother Yun teaching me this song. I had to have it on the album because it, it I, I haven't heard on any other album. He taught me how to sing this song. Brother Yun uh, sat with me as we were making our journey across America on one of our tours where he was going around sharing with people. It's a very short song and it's very easy to learn. Jesus loves you. It's a little bit different than the song of Jesus Loves Me. It's Jesus loves you. He will always love you. Always and forever. This is the story of the most, what I believe, the most powerful time of the year. Go around. Spread cheer. Spread hope. Spread love. Spread the story of Jesus. And let them know that on this day, We celebrate our Savior's birth. Yeah, it might not be the day that he was actually born. But we will not forget the greatest gift that has ever been given to mankind. We will not forget the babe who came in a way that no one expected. Being born without a doctor, without a midwife to a young virgin in a disgusting barn. Gave up the kingdom of heaven so that I would have a chance at life. His sacrifice alone would have given me salvation. Jesus could have descended from heaven down to earth, I believe, and put himself on the cross and my sins would have been forgiven. But that's not what he chose to do. He chose to be born as a man just like me, of a virgin, Remaining holy, unlike me. And walking this earth to show me that he can empathize with my trials and pains and failures because he too walked on this earth. He challenged Satan in his own territory and defeated him. He knows what it's like to be hot, cold, thirsty, hungry, in pain. He knows what it's like to survive through the dark nights. 
He knows what it's like to live as man. And he brought us victory. He didn't do it by being born in a castle. Born to an elite member of society. He didn't, he didn't do it by being born into a wealthy family. Into gifted surroundings. He chose to be the lowliest of us. And it's the greatest gift I have ever been given. And because I've been given so much, I find it so joyful to give to others. In this one time of the year, I love to give. I encourage you to give. Give without reservation. Give without fear of tomorrow. Give until you are on the edge of giving everything that you've got. Give it joyfully. Give it to bring joy to others. Reap the benefits of watching others smile at the gifts that you are given. Give it without wanting to be recognized. Give it anonymously. Give it and let the name of Jesus be praised. And let us not forget those that are living in the most persecuted areas of the world. And may a song go out to all mankind that Jesus loves you.
Thank you so much for joining us for another Back to Jerusalem podcast during this special time of the year. May the Spirit of the Lord go from our homes to yours. May the same revival fires that are sweeping through China visit you in your home. Whether it's day or night, may you be filled with the Spirit of Christ during this time of the year. May His love saturate your entire soul. We thank you so much for joining together with us. And may you and your family be blessed.